How we doing? It's good to see you. I'm glad you're here. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome to the creek. I, uh, I, I, I got a grin on my face because I was just given a new recipe for kale. And uh, you know how much I love kale. But this one I actually might try next time Heather buys it. The, kick, the, the key is um, cook it with a lot of bacon grease. So that way it's easier to slide off your plate into the trash can. Boom. There you go. Man, I'm glad you're here. Uh, it's a good weekend. It's been a good week. It's been a good week, challenging week. I know we're getting ready for Christmas, and I know that just brings a lot of different pressures and things. And I've been praying for you this week just that you will slow down and enjoy the peace that, that is, is Jesus, and he is the reason for this, this season. And, and uh, all the chaos and everything going on, I'm just, I've been praying for you specifically this week that just peace overwhelms you and that you can... You can Feel that tangible peace. So uh, a couple things coming up. Christmas Eve services, you saw uh, we got five services over two days, so the 23rd and the 24th. And I actually just want to talk to just our core team for a minute, our core families. If, you are a, if you're a core family, you know who you are. I'm asking you to do a favor for me. I'm asking you to, to pray about this as a family. Come and attend on the 23rd, one of the services on the 23rd, and then help us serve on the 24th. Because the 24th is a day that a lot of our community will come to church. And this is a great opportunity to set the table for them uh, to experience what family and church is like and to hear the gospel. I commit to you, every, every time I can be on this platform, I'm going to make Jesus clear and I'm going to share the gospel. And our core team, we set the table for that. So we're actually needing ushers and greeters for the 24th because uh, we're expecting crowds and uh, we can help people get seats, and we'll help with overflow and everything like that. And, uh, and, and so you get to help set that environment before anything happens in here for people to be open to hear the gospel. So uh, you can see us at the Welcome Center. Or go online. Send us an email, info at thecreekfw.com. We will help you get hooked up. And uh, so I also just want to give you an update. Our end-of-year giving... Uh, for those of you doing that, we're, we're funneling all of that to our loft program, which is our finish out of the upstairs. Um, that's going. I, was just, I just saw some plans come through this week and, and was looking at some stuff, and then I saw a check go out, uh, a, a big check go out uh, to start getting ready for the AVL stuff, AVL's audio, video, and, and lighting stuff up there so we can have uh, an environment up there in that, that, that gathering space. So thank you for that. Uh, I've been looking forward to this chapter the whole time we've been doing this series. This series to me, it is built off of this chapter for me, and I, I love it. It's John chapter 14 where Jesus says, I am, and it follows up with a truth about his character and a, a, a factual statement about who he is. And we've been looking at all these I am statements in John, but in John 14, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I love this. There's so much assurance in this. There's so much hope in this. And I have been excited to, to teach this since we had this series on the plan. I couldn't wait to get to this one. And I, I just want to say this, is, this may not be an easy thing to hear, but I, I love you enough to share the truth with you. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so uh, let's just get, get, get uh, kicked off in this. Uh, he starts out, he says, let not your hearts be troubled. So Jesus automatically can, he, he has emotional intelligence through the roof. He can read a room, he, he can perceive the heart of man, so of course he's got high emotional intelligence. So he, he reads the room, and he starts out by saying, don't, don't be afraid, don't let your hearts be troubled, because he had just given them, in chapter 13, some very troubling news. 
I mean, he dropped some, he dropped some bombs on the disciples in, in John chapter 13. He says, they're eating dinner, and he says, one of you is going to betray me. And so you know the disciples are like, they're like, not I, not I, not I, not me, not me. And Jesus is like, it's the one dipping his hand in the bread. You just want to make sure you're not reaching for the bread at that moment, right? I mean, I grew up in a large family. When dinner hit the table, it's like, let's go, you know? And so, you know, you just want to make sure it's the one reaching for the uh, bread. Uh, can I have the broccoli, please? <laughs> How about that kale with the bacon grease? I'll take that. But uh, Jesus just drops the bomb and says, one of you is a traitor. I mean, think about that. Is, is sitting in the, the inner circle, the disciples together, they'd spent these years of ministry together, and then all of a sudden, Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me. One of you is a traitor. And he calls that out. And then that, that's a big enough one on its own. And then it, then it goes on, and he tells Peter, you're going to deny me. So, I mean, sitting on the edge of this, you think, this is kind of falling apart, isn't it? I mean, so one of you is a traitor. One's going to deny me. And everybody else is thinking, it's not me. I mean, Peter even denied that he was going to deny him. He said, I'll die with you. I'm going to follow you to death. I've got you, Jesus. I'm with you, me and you, buddy. And he's like, no, you're going to deny me. That's a bomb too. And so looking on the outside, it's like this is unraveling. And then the big one, the nuclear one that Jesus drops is I'm leaving. And that's going to rock their world because they've traveled with Jesus. They spent time with Jesus. He's poured into them. They've, they've seen his power and his authority at work. He's given them power and authority to go out and, and, and preach the kingdom, heal the sick, and cast out the demons. I mean, he'd, he had anointed them to go and do this work. And then all of a sudden, they're sitting at dinner, and this, this is kind of like a breakup dinner, you know? It's like, I'm glad we sat down to talk. Um, I am going to pay for your meal, but I, this, this isn't working out, right? I mean, at least, at least you got the meal, right? But one of you is going to betray me, one of you is going to deny me, and I'm leaving. I mean, what, what he says in, in this, and uh, I'll read to you verse 33 and 36. In 33, he says, little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you also, where I'm going, you cannot come. And then it's like, well, man, did, where, what, what's going on here? And then Peter's the one who said, Lord, where are you going? And he said, where I'm going right now, you can't come. This is verse 36. But soon you'll follow. And, and so this is troubling news. And so Jesus starts out, I mean, into the conversation. He says, let not your heart be troubled. He's like, don't, don't let this rock your world. He says, goes on to say, believe also. He says, believe in God. Believe also in me. So he's saying belief is the way for our hearts not to be troubled. So the, there's this foundation that he's calling us to that when trouble comes, Jesus knows trouble's going to come. He knows we're going to face stuff. I mean, these difficult things. I mean, Jesus even said, in this life, you will have trouble. You will have tribulation. But he says, take heart. I've overcome the world. I mean, we go through the things we go through. Jesus is constantly speaking into us. Don't be troubled about this. Don't be troubled about this. I mean, one thing that God has just been just, just kind of exploding in my vision lately is, 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 is these two things, his steadfast love and his faithfulness. Now, I've been reading through the Psalms, and, and I, I find extreme comfort in the Psalms. I love the Psalms. And, and, and there's this over and over, David would say, your steadfast love and your faithfulness 
protect me. They preserve me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness always hold me. It secures me. And what we've got to be called back to, Jesus is saying that, look, there's going to be trouble, but believe in God, believe also in me, because it's his steadfast love and his faithfulness. God's very character is love. It's not just he has this overwhelming capacity to love. He is love. And God can be faithful because he is faithful. And that's what sustains us. And Jesus says, believe in God, believe also in me. There's going to be stuff come at you. There's going to be trials. There's going to be news that's going to rock your world. I mean, one phone call can change everything in our life. But Jesus says, don't let your heart be troubled in that moment because there's a belief, a belief in, in God who is love and his steadfast love, belief in God who is faithful and his faithfulness secures and sustains us through whatever we face. So he says, let not your hearts be troubled. Then he goes on to say, in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. There is extreme comfort in this. This, this is the hope and this is the assurance. I mean, this, this, is, this is a clear promise that Jesus is coming back. I mean, we get into church circles and, and we get into discussions over over. over the Bible and over theology and over doctrine, and, and we'll get into these, these arguments, and, and guys will go, well, I, Jesus is going to come back now, and Jesus is going to come back at this point, and here's when Jesus is going to come back, and he's going to come back before the tribulation, after the tribulation, middle of the tribulation. Here's the, here's the thing. Those are open-handed issues, and we can discuss those, but let's get our hands wrapped around on this fact. Jesus said, I'm coming back. And he doesn't toy with our emotions. See, I, I love that we have a God that, that he is so emotionally intelligent and so emotionally in tune with everything that he's not going to jack around with mine. Because he says, I don't, I'm not going to mess with your heart here, Matt. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I'm going to come back and bring you home. He was a carpenter when he was on earth. Grew up in the family trade before ministry. So he's qualified. Well, can Jesus build what's in our future? Well, he is the one who spoke everything into existence because he's the word. All things were created by and for and through him. He's got creative power and he makes good things. And this is a clear promise that he's coming back and he's preparing a place for those who believe. He's talking about heaven. Look, some... Here's the reality. Some will go to heaven through the valley of the shadow of death. We talked about that last week. But some will see him return. Some will be alive. And even the disciples believed that they would see this moment of the return of Jesus. People ask me, you know, when is Jesus coming back? And do you think we're, we're getting close to when Jesus comes back. I think every moment we draw breath and every second that passes, a second closer to when Jesus comes back. Do I believe we're living in the end times? Yes. But I don't fear that. I don't worry about that. Because my belief is in the one who is on the throne. 
My belief in the, is in the one who is preparing this place for me that will receive me. And then he, he goes on, and you know the way to where I'm going. Some translations say it this way, where I am going, you know, and the way, you know. And I think Jesus also has a, he's a little bit of a sense of humor because I could see him doing this. And you know the way, and you know how to get there. Right? I mean, because he's got the disciples, and there are times he would ask the disciples, are you this dull? Now, what that would say is, do you not get it? What part of this aren't you getting? And listen, I, I, when I pray and I read and I ask God for revelation through his word, I'm like, God, I just, I need you to help me out. You created me, and you know my IQ is not as high as some and so here's what I pray. Can you put the cookies on the bottom shelf, please? Because I'd like to reach those. I would like to partake of the deep things of God, but would you help me reach them? And Jesus is like, where I'm going, you know. I just told you I'm going to prepare a place for you, and you know the way. That's assurance. And then Thomas speaks up. He said, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? I think this is a genuine desire that Thomas has to be with Jesus. I mean, I think he's like, I don't want you to go. I, I don't want you to leave. And, and this, this ministry, and you've called me, and, and where everyone else would overlook me, you saw me. You saw what you could do in me, and you saw what you could do through me. And Jesus, I... I need you. I need that. I don't want a separation. I don't, I don't know, and I want to know. I mean, isn't it amazing how, how, man, we just get so comfortable in a place, and when change happens, it's, it's extremely difficult for us to manage. You know, I always, I always heard the statement, people don't like change. People don't like change. I've learned that people like change if it benefits them. And the older I get, I, I, I'm going to confess this, I do struggle with change in some areas of my life. I like, I like my rhythms and I like my routines. And it drives Heather nuts sometimes. But we moved about six or eight weeks ago, and we're living in an apartment. And so we look at each other, and we just have to say, hashtag apartment life. Like, I go down to the mail room. Just so you know, I'm not good about, when I lived in a house, I wasn't good about walking to the end of my sidewalk to get my mail out. I would go out there when it was like falling open and the mailman's like, dude, you'll gotta come get this. And I'll come, I'll come in with a stack of mail. I mean, it looks like I've been on a month-long journey and I just picked it up, but my mailbox was huge. And I'd go, oh, you got the mail, yeah. And it'd take me 30 minutes to sort through to find the three envelopes I needed. Well, now I get to go to a mailroom and package delivery. Huh. I walk in, there's boxes all over the floor. I'm like, how is this safe? People can steal my stuff. I mean, porch pirates, listen, I'm not trying to tell you how to do your job, but you're risking too much running up a sidewalk. You should go hit the mailrooms because I walk in, everything's there. They have these lockers that you have to 
they put your stuff in, you put your code and your, your package is supposed to be in there. I opened it the other day. It literally was like a cartoon. The junk, the junk uh, closet, you know, when you open and everything falls out, boxes just come out. And I dug through every one of those and mine wasn't in there. So you can tell I was happy. So, so I come back into the apartment and, and, of course, Heather's the one who hears about this. But we have to just say, hashtag apartment life. Change can be difficult. But listen, change, when we experience change in our spiritual life, and whenever you don't feel close to God, and you feel like you've been clicking along and, and, and then all of a sudden something changes and it causes us to question a lot of things. Sometimes, should I go there? Yeah, I'm gonna go there. Sometimes when things are going our way, we really enjoy the presence of God. But when Jesus drops a revelation that we take hard, it, it wrecks us. And here Thomas is going, I don't want, the, 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 I don't want anything to change. But Jesus understands things have to change because my mission wasn't just to come spend my time with you guys. My mission is to redeem the world from sin. And that's going to require me to leave you for a little while. Jesus wasn't saying, I'm, I'm leaving forever. He says, I've got to leave for a little while. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And I'm going to come back. I've got you. I'm going to come back. And Thomas is like, this is a direct question that Thomas asked. Though we don't know the way, how do we know the way? And then Jesus gives a direct answer. I love it. His heart. Jesus answers verse 6. Here we go. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. How do we know the way? Jesus said, I am. I am. He said, I'm the way. You Go back to verse 4. You know me. You know the way because you know me. I am the way. Jesus doesn't point to the way. Jesus doesn't give us a direction towards the way. Jesus doesn't navigate us to the way. Jesus is the way. That's it. He says, I'm the truth. I'm the way. I am the truth. He's not just speaking truth. He is truth. And this truth is powerful. Jesus would speak about the truth in John 8, 32. That this truth not only has power to give us a foundation of faith, but bring us freedom. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So wait, Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth. So where do we find freedom? Freedom is found in Christ. All the, all the help that we're trying to get can be Band-Aids, but if we want freedom, if we want to experience that, it's found in Christ. If you know the truth, the truth will set you free. If you know Jesus, Jesus will set you free. But listen, you're going to have to follow him when he says difficult things. Because he's going to call you. He's not calling you into comfort. The way of Jesus is not through comfort. Paul would speak of his conversion of Christ in his letters in the New Testament that giving my life to Christ, confessing him as Lord and Savior was both the greatest thing that ever happened in my life and the most challenging thing that ever happened in my life. Because by confessing Christ, 
He was shipwrecked. He was beaten. He was hungry. He was naked. He was without. He went through all of these trials and struggles just because of that confession in Christ. But listen, he was faithful to follow him because Jesus was leading. Jesus wants to lead you in a life, and he wants to lead you in freedom, but you got to listen to him. And a lot of times we'll feel like, well, God's not speaking to me. God's not saying anything to me, and I want to challenge you. Go back to the last thing he asked you to do and answer this question. Are you doing it? He says, I am the truth. And then he says, I am the life. There is no life outside of Jesus. There's this breathing, walking around existence. There's this process of being born a physical birth. And we do this thing called life. And, and I, listen, I, there are times life gets so overwhelming and so ridiculous that I have to step back and go, this isn't life. My life was found in Christ. And it's not just life here. In John 10, 10, he says, I'm here to give you life and life abundantly. So it's not just a future thing. He gives us eternal life. That belief in him gives us eternal life, that future event, heaven. But he gives us life now and he calls us to live this life now following him. And he's challenging the disciples. He says this in verse 7. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Some translations write it this way. If you know me, you will know my father also. Jesus would declare in John chapter 10, I and the father are one. If you've seen me, you've seen him. If you've heard from me, you've heard from him. Because we're one, we have such unity and such a connection that I speak, I represent him, and I am a reflection of him. Jesus is spoken of in Colossians that he is the image of the invisible God. How do we see God? Man, we see Jesus. And Jesus says, if you know me, you know him. So he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. There's change coming. There's difficulties coming, but listen, I got you. I got you. I got this, I got you. And a lot of times when we look around in our scenarios, we're like, God, do you have this? And, and, and I, I have to step back on that belief and that faith. Like, it doesn't matter if you got this, you got this. So no matter what happens, come what may. I'm planted firmly in you, Jesus, because you're the way. You're the way through this. When I speak with couples who are in marital trouble, the question I ask them before we can go any further is, are you looking for a way through this or are you looking for a way out of this? Because that sets the tone. And when I come upon difficulties, I look for the way through it because I'm following Jesus who's the way through it. He is the way. He is the truth. When the world feeds us the lies and deception, he brings me back the truth. He is the life. My life is firmly planted in him. And there's some things I want you to know that you see about God and what Jesus is saying. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And you see this relationship. I want you to learn these things and know these things and, and, 
let these undergird your faith is that, that God is a relational God who wants to be with us. God just doesn't tolerate us. He wants to be with us. Even from, from creation, even from Adam and Eve, they walked in the cool of the garden in the day and they enjoyed this relationship and then all of a sudden sin entered the picture and that relationship was severed and God just didn't write it off. He didn't erase our contact information. He didn't block us. He didn't ghost us. He began reaching out immediately for reconciliation. Look at the heart of God in that. Listen, if I get wronged, I go through a process. I'm gonna be really angry at you. And it's going to take me some time to get to this point of reconciliation. So I, got, I go through my anger with you. I go through my frustration with you. I go through all the scenarios like, could I have done something different? Could you have something different? What set this up? How did we get here? And then ultimately, I got to get to forgiveness. And I got to forgive you. And I've got to forgive for myself. And I may have to ask you for repentance and all this. But, but then, then we work towards reconciliation. It takes me a while to get to that. God instantly reached out. He says, what have you done? And they go through the whole blame game. But then God covers them with the skins of animals. The first death in creation was God covering Adam and Eve, instantly reaching out. Because God is a relational God who wants to live among his people. He called the people out of, of Egypt. He tells Moses, I want you to build me a place. I want you to build a dwelling in Leviticus chapter 26, he says, I'll make my dwelling among you. I want to live with you. And look at this. My soul shall not abhor you. What does that mean? God likes us. He just doesn't tolerate us. He loves us. Even when we fail. But he says, I will walk among you and I will be your God and you will be my people. The presence of God led the Israelites. Exodus chapter 40. The cloud by day and the fire by night. That's the Shekinah presence of God. That's the presence of God leading his people because he desires to be with them. When they built the temple, Second Chronicles, when the temple was being dedicated, the glory of God filled the house of the Lord so thick that the priests couldn't even get in there because God says, I'm moving in to be with my people. Well, that's Old Testament. Well, what season is it? Christmas. Matthew chapter 1, behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. He desires to be with us. Jesus even gives a further, further assurance to the disciples, don't let your hearts be troubled. I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm going to come back to you. You, you believe in God, believe in me also. How do we know the way? I am the way, the truth, and the life. If you've seen me, now you've seen the Father. But then he goes on, and in John 14, 16, he gives them this beautiful assurance. He says, I'm sending, I'm going to ask the Father, and he's going to send you another helper to be with you forever because God desires to be with his people. So Jesus says, look, I'm going to go through the cross. I'm going to pay for your sin. I'm going to deal with, with the bondage of sin. I'm going to deal with the enemy. I'm going to deal with death. I'm going to deal with hell. I'm going to deal with it all. And I'm going to be seated at the right hand of God. But the Holy Spirit is going to come because I desire to be with you. And he says, do you not know? Paul would even remind us, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Man, there's times that I just pray, God, let your glory so fill this temple that there's not enough room for Matt to enter it. God, would you just fill my mind so thick with your glory that it's not Matt's thoughts? Would you, would you, would you just fill me like that, Holy Spirit? 
He desires to be with his people. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back to receive you. (laughs) Then we get the face-to-face. What was lost in the garden of walking with God in the cool of the day and experiencing unhindered relationship with God, our Father, our Creator, our Lover, our Reconciler, we will be restored to that face-to-face unhindered relationship again. There's hope in that. That's beautiful. God wants a relationship with us. Not because we're good, but because he's good. Not because we have this capacity to love unconditionally, but he loves us unconditionally. And this place that he wants to bring us to, Jesus is the one preparing for that. I I love this imagery that Jesus gives because this is wedding language. This is first century Jewish wedding language. I mean, it's dripping with it. Because for him to say, I'm going to prepare a place for you, and then I'm going to come back and receive you, that's exactly what the the, the groom would say to the bride. Let Let me walk you through how the process works. Okay, first century Jew. Okay, boy meets girl, boy, girl fall in love. Sounds like a Hallmark movie now, doesn't it? Anyway, there's this, the, the, the boy's like, I want to marry her. So he goes to the girl's father. I would like your blessing. I would love to marry your daughter. And he's like, you can marry my daughter. And then they throw this big party. And at one point in this party, the, the, the groom-to-be, the one who's smitten in love, he would walk up to this bride-to-be, and he would have this cup of wine. It was called a covenant cup. And he would offer her a drink, and he says, I offer you a cup of covenant Would you partake with me? Sounds like communion, doesn't it? And she has a choice. She can accept the cup. And when she takes a drink, she says, I'm drinking into this covenant. And I'm saying, yes, I will be with you. I will be yours and you will be mine. Where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. Your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. Some of y'all probably need to interview the people and figure out your in-law situation before you offer that cup. I'm just saying that. That's free advice. But anyway, but she says, yes. The party goes on. Well, then all of a sudden, the groom's like, I'm going to go back to dad's house. I'm loosely translating this. I'm going to go back to my dad's house, and I'm going to build us a wing. Okay, I'm going to build us a suite. I'm going to add on. And when it's done, I'm going to come and get you, baby. So you wait. So he and his entourage go back to his father's house, and he begins construction. All the while, the bride-to-be is practicing writing her new last name and, you know, watching 8,000 episodes of Say Yes to the Dress and interviewing caterers and musicians and DJs, (coughs) figuring everything out, doing the Target gift registry. But also, she has to tend a lamp. She puts this lamp in her window and she keeps it filled with oil because that lamp says, I have this light and he is coming to receive me. And this light so shines before men that they see that I'm spoken for and that he is mine and he's coming back to get me. 
It's Matthew chapter 25. Jesus tells a parable about this, that there was, there was 10 virgins and, and the ones who, who didn't take care of their lamp, they let it go out. They didn't provide enough oil. Man, they, they, they missed out. But you and I are called to keep the light burning. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. The city on a hill cannot be hidden. So she keeps the light. She's doing everything. And all of a sudden, there's a point over at the house where the groom's father says, good job, son. And he says those words, go get your bride. And then all of a sudden, he calls up his entourage, and it's a parade. And they are coming through, they're singing, they are everything. And then they, he sees the light, and he brings her out. They're wed, celebration. I mean, you think some of the weddings we have are long? We're talking seven days, y'all. And then he takes her to live in this home that he's prepared. So that's the imagery Jesus is saying. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I'm going to prepare a place for you. I have offered my blood to you as a covenant so that I can receive you unto myself. And I'm at home, and I'm preparing this place for you. And when Father says, go get your bride, listen, that's when the church is going home. Because this is not our home. We have this future hope of glory, and it's called heaven, this incredible place. And listen, Jesus is preparing this for us, and I just want to read you some imagery of heaven. John wrote the book of Revelation, and, and he ran out of words of describing the beauty of it, and he had to say what's not there. But listen to this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Praise God. We have this future hope that this place called heaven is real, and it is for those who believe in Christ as Lord and Savior, and Jesus is preparing this place for us. And listen, Jesus is the only way to experience that relationship. Heaven is a real place but it's an exclusive place. This is not the popular news. This is truth. In that same chapter, Revelation 21, verse 27 says, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. See, religion will lead you to believe that all roads lead to heaven. Or all the paths lead to the top of the mountain. But listen, there's only one path. There's only one way to the top. His name is Jesus. And it's not your effort. It's not your giving. It's not your good deeds. It's not how well you can behave yourself. Listen, it is, we are only declared clean and righteous through the blood of Christ that was poured out for us on Calvary. And the only way our name is written in that book is by the blood of Jesus. We have to receive his gift of grace and salvation. We have to receive this 
How do we receive it? We believe, and by faith we accept this grace, grace that Jesus left his disciples that night. He says, listen, I'm going to go prepare a place for you. And part of that process was going to the cross and laying his life down on a cross and three days later walking victoriously from the tomb because he is the victor. He is the way. He is the truth. And he is the life. And we have to submit to him for that. Heaven and hell are real places. And real people are going to those places every day. And we have difficult choices to make. And I love you enough to tell you the truth. I watched a story this week uh, by uh, Penn and Teller. Penn is the vocal one of Penn and Teller. And this was his story. This was, it moved him. He says, you know, I'm an atheist. I'm an outspoken atheist. I do not believe in God. But he said, I do not respect people. I do not respect Christians who will not proselytize. Proselytize means share the gospel, share the message of Jesus. He tells a story of a man after a show one night that came up and gave him a Bible. And he says, I love you and I want to share this with you. He says, I deeply respect this man. And what I came to after that conversation, he goes, I'm still an atheist, but, but what I came to in that conversation with him is how much do you have to hate me not to tell me about Jesus? If I believe that a truck is coming for, for you and barreling down on you and is gonna run you over and kill you, but you don't believe in the truck, how cruel is it that I'm not willing to get you out of the way? If eternal life is real, if heaven is real, how cruel is it for us not to tell people the way to get there? I love you and I care about you too much to dance around, create fluff. We have to speak truth. And the truth is we need Jesus. He is the way. He is the truth. And he is the life, and it only comes through him. I love you. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your love for us. Jesus, we believe that you are truth, and I thank you for being honest with us. You love us too much to speak anything but truth, and thank you for truth. And I believe that you are preparing a place for us. And I believe you're coming back to take us home someday. I believe I will be with you face to face in the fullness of our relationship. That everything was broken through sin. You have set a way to restore it. And you are the way. And you are the only way. Thank you for loving us so much that you gave your life to secure this relationship. Your resurrection proves that you're the life that we need. And I'm asking for that life to bring life today. That for any of those that, that need this life, I just pray that you would just have the courage and the faith that God has given you. Just say, Jesus, I, I need your forgiveness. I need your grace. I don't understand it, but I believe you love me that much. And I want to learn that love and know that love. And I'm asking you to forgive me. I'm giving my heart to you in this relationship. 
And I'm asking you to prepare a place for me. I'm preparing a place for you in my life and my heart so that we will have this incredibly deep, life-giving relationship. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. I love you.